This is episode number 360 with Jeremy Gooch of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth, Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high-quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hey, Founder Fam, Nathan here. Welcome back to another episode. So today's guest is the founder of a company called Trend Hunter. His name is Jeremy Gooch, and wow, if you want to know how to find trending products, um, Jeremy's the founder of Trend Hunter, which is the number one trend spotting firm in the world. Like his website gets over a billion views a year. Um, they do advisory for a lot of Fortune 500 companies. And really, this is going to be a masterclass for you on how to find trending products. Like this is the guy to speak to. If you're looking for a hot business idea or you want to find a hot product, then he really takes me through his process. I think you're going to love it. We've got his three methods to identifying a product idea and assessing the market, the six patterns that Trend Hunter look for when creating and validating a product idea, the process that Trend Hunter follow when working on a project for like a you know massive company. Um, we also do deep dives on actual case studies of companies that he's come into and you know find and rework the product or found a trending product within that market. You're going to absolutely love this episode. You make sure that you share this with your friends. Please make sure because if they want to start a business, this will really help them. All right, guys, if you are enjoying these interviews, please do leave us a review. All right, now let's jump to the show. Jeremy, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. The first question uh, that I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job? Well, you know, I was always an entrepreneur at heart, and it's so tough to figure out what your little idea is. So as a kid, I was always trying this and that, and you know, every possible little kid business you could imagine. And eventually, you can't pick. You become a corporate innovator, started working for a bank. Uh, I made them a billion dollar business, which sounds good, but I didn't find my idea. 
And I was getting so frustrated. So in 2005, which was before YouTube and before Facebook, I taught myself to code and I coded up Trend Hunter as a place for people to share business ideas. And truthfully, I thought maybe my new idea will come from some trend hunter in Australia, like yourself, or someone in South America, Asia, I don't know. And what I didn't expect was that being so early in that crowdsourced world, we really grew quickly. And there were so many people looking for ideas that traffic went from thousands to millions to billions. And we didn't have the way to monetize that. But, you know, I was a uh, a research guy, an innovation guy in the, in the bank from the past. So I knew what people or the big corporations needed. So when we turned it into a research business, suddenly we could use this platform to be about 20 times faster for, for market research. So now we've done about 10,000 projects for every major brand, Disney, Samsung, NASA, Red Bull, just pick a brand. We've probably done something for them. And it's been really fun because I didn't in some ways pick my idea now I just help other people find their idea. Yeah, wow, crazy. That's such a cool story. Um, so at Founder, um, you know, we're really trying to democratize entrepreneurial education. And we're producing a lot of content around how to start or grow a business. And pretty much like one of the number one places that we send people to when people say like, I don't have inspiration or I, I, I want to start a business, but... I'm not sure like what, what's, where to go. We always say one of the places in all of our resources always is like go to Trend Hunter. Um, so it's, nice. it's, it's really cool um, to be speaking with you and, and I'd love to delve a little deeper around kind of the idea of finding trending business ideas. Uh, you know, how do you know if something will work? How do you know if it's too late and all of that? So um, where would you like to start, Jeremy? Well, I guess um. You know, when I, well, recently I put out a book called Create the Future, which kind of answers part of that question. And what I, what I sort of tackled in Create the Future is this idea that is, is interesting and in that we get caught on the path that we're on. And, and there's a term, path dependency. It goes back to the 1950s, but it sort of explains why it's difficult to take the entrepreneurial leap and what you need to figure out. Because what happens is that you get so comfortable and maybe successful at whatever it is that you're doing that everything else you look at seems awkward and clumsy and weird. It doesn't seem like it's the, the right fit. And so uh, I think a big part of finding your entrepreneurial world is to recognize that you have so much great potential within your grasp, but the, the problem is that you're so easily tempted to just stay with whatever job, whatever career that you have. So recognize that those new ideas when you're first starting out, they are clumsy, they are awkward, and all great innovations have always been a little bit off the beaten path. You know, what, what's really interesting about Trend Hunter is there's some really good stuff on there, like some really cool, innovative ideas. And these are essentially crowdsourced where people are sharing their idea. At, why do people share it? Well, people all around the world, like you are, you know, interested in ideas and trying to figure out what's next. And we find that a lot of people like that social currency of being the person in the know. So they want to hunt and find ideas before their buddies. Uh, others are the entrepreneurs, the PR companies, the brands, the, the actual innovators who want to get the idea out about their product. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's a little bit different to be someone that's really interested in the business idea. And if you go to a lot of websites, they'll sort of cover, 
hey, this company launched model XYZ. But at Trend Hunter, we're very much looking for the idea. So when you go to trendhunter.com, you'll see the title wouldn't say Trek launches new electric bike that is 3X. That would be the normal title on a bike website. But we would be saying uh, eco-electric bikes. And that's sort of step one. So you look at the front page and you see all of these ideas. But the second part is when you click into that eco-electric bike, it will show you not computer-selected, but human-selected similar products or ideas, eco-electric scooters, eco-electric hybrids, eco-electric mopeds. And what we're actually trying to do is study your journey as a person that's seeking ideas um, and, and also just get you excited by all the related concepts out there. So when it gets back to your question about why do people contribute, well, part of it is you're in this place where you're discovering ideas, maybe sharing, being excited, and then suddenly you realize, oh, they're missing, you know, this, this one thing, I got to get it in there. And so then people contribute. And, you know, we don't need a lot of people contributing at the end of the day. We've had a, a couple hundred thousand sign up, but even just a small number of people who are really excited account for the majority of the content. And then half of our work is not really getting the content, but studying how people interact with it. What is the crowd really interested in? And I'm curious as well, like, you know, Trend Hunter is a great place to go to to find and source and curate ideas for a potential business. But at the same time, what kind of things should people people be thinking about when it comes to finding a you know a hot business idea or a trending business idea besides going to Trend Hunter? Like, do you have a process that you could share with people? Sure. Yeah. So I think that people use the word trend in a way that sort of ruins it because it can mean everything from what's trending this hour on Twitter, which is whatever Donald Trump has last complained about, to all the way at the other end, maybe a giant mega trend that everyone in the world already knows about. So there's a pretty big range. And what you're actually looking for to find an entrepreneurial sweet spot is a cluster of several ideas. A consumer insight would be the the marketer's term. But we would look at it as an example where you see several ideas that are similar, that people are liking, that kind of suggest there might be something more there. So if I gave you an example, if we rewind around, I don't know, two decades, and you saw the first Red Bull or Monster Energy drink, you would see a caffeinated beverage. That's one idea. Maybe it's interesting, maybe it's not. But then if you also saw caffeinated potato chips and you saw caffeinated chocolate and you saw caffeinated something else, you might look at them and realize, well, wait, there's something here. Like, what is it that people really want? Maybe it's an alternative to coffee because maybe they don't like coffee. Maybe it's a different age demographic of younger people who haven't gotten into it. Or maybe it's telling you about a time-crunched culture where people are doing anything to get an energy hit. So the concept of trying to find an idea that has lasting power is that you are trying to find several examples that all illustrate a cluster of opportunity. And that's very different than looking at just one teeny tiny little idea, which might work or not work, or a giant megatrend, which everyone sort of knows about. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because, yeah, trends is a hot word and it's a hot idea, but at the same time, you don't want something like, for example, you know, hoverboard, right? That's that's just oversaturated, right? That was an extremely trending product, but as fast as it came, it went down just as fast, right? You want to find somewhere 
where it's like it's an up and comer or what you call like it has lasting power, but it's not so much like mass market. So how do you work that out? Well, at Trend Hunter, our method is, uh, and if you visit the website, it's free, so I'm not selling you anything. But it's this idea of we look for related patterns where we could find six to 10 examples of something that, that seemed to be related but new. And then we would actually try to test that using our website to see what's interesting and what's not. And if you're navigating the site, you'll see all of our stats. We kind of expose uh, you know, what's out there. But if you were not using Trend Hunter and you're generally looking around the world, you're looking for a pattern. When, where do you see more than just one thing that seems to be cluing you into something else that's new? And, and it's an interesting period to even bring a lot of this up because what has happened in this COVID period is that people around the world have spent a year working from home and not able to do all the things they want. That's caused a reshuffling of the deck of which companies are in the lead. It's changed our market and perceptions and consumer interests. It sort of leveled the playing field. And once we emerge and we're back out able to fully resume our lives around the world, what you'll find is that there's companies that are gone, companies that are new, and consumers everywhere that changed what they're interested in. So a time period like this is really interesting because chaos can seem intimidating, but it actually creates enormous opportunity because of the amount of consumer needs that have changed. And so if you look historically at time periods of chaos, you'll find some of the most iconic companies were, were started. So if I look at global economic recessions in those time periods, you would find Disney, CNN, Hyatt, Apple, Burger King, Fortune Magazine, Uber, Venmo, Airbnb. And I could go on and on. This is kind of my background. I study chaos and write about it. Uh, but the point would be that those companies didn't start randomly, coincidentally, because it was a recession. They were successful because in those time periods, people reevaluate what's important. Maybe they're looking to save money. Maybe they're looking for a different option. Maybe their lives have, have sort of changed. So we're about to enter in 2021 what I would say will be one of the most interesting land grabs of opportunity, a window of opportunity for you to find that business idea that could be so right for what you're interested in. Once you've found an idea, something that looks and appears to have lasting power, it has, you know, like you said, maybe a pattern of, of you know, five to six similar type variations of the product or, or you know, service, like, how do you know if you're onto something? What, like, is it, is it just go, you know, lean startup? You know, like, what, what do you recommend? Yeah, I mean, there's a, that's going to depend on the idea that you're coming up with. But what I would say is that now, compared to any other time period in history, you're also able to test your idea in a way that's very rapid. The mega trend on Trend Hunter that we use to describe this current period is, is called instant entrepreneurship. And it's this idea that you could instantly become an entrepreneur. If uh, my little niece comes up with an idea for a little plastic uh, dinosaur, uh, she could actually go to Thingverse, get a 3D printed prototype. She could go to Wix and for free in half an hour make a beautiful website. She could go to Kickstarter and sell the product before it's ready. So. It's going to be different for whatever your product is, but things like Kickstarter, all sorts of market testing platforms out there give you the potential to actually try something, to even see if you could sell a, a service or idea before it's ready. How do you know when an idea 
has hit market saturation like a fidget spinner, like a hoverboard, where it's just too crowded. Um, you know, like the coffee scrub, that seems like it's overcrowded. You, like, you know where I'm going with this, right? Sure. Yeah, I think a lot of that is about looking at how many competitors there are and then trying to understand if you feel you can make a niche. It, it, there's a really unique um, disadvantage of our very rapid culture for an entrepreneur, which is that it's very easy for ideas to be copied and it's very easy for things to run amok because of it. If I give the example of those shareable bikes, uh, there were so many companies that started competing in the shareable bike market that pretty soon there are a whole bunch of billionaires in China that started jumping into the market. And if you look for bike graveyard in Google Images, you can see pictures from outer space, aerial photos of these dumping grounds in China that have not thousands of bikes, but like millions of bikes just stacked. And it looked, they look like lavender fields from, from, <laughs> from an aerial view because so many of these bikes were overproduced that will never be ridden because so much money jumped into the market right away. So I'd say when you're coming up with your idea, you really want to see if you can make something where you don't feel like there's too many competitors. You're making something interesting to a specific group of people. And that's the, the sort of quote that I would use. How do you be irresistible to a specific group of people? Because if I know I could make something that's useful for a small enough group that I could actually find, reach, and sell to, then I could start to build my business, get some potential, and actually you know, monetize something without feeling like I'm getting into a market uh, where I'm just too late in, into the business. So that's going to be different for every market that you look at. But I, but I do think you want to try and find a way where you're not appealing to the whole world because then you could be competing against the whole world, but maybe find something that's a bit contained where you feel you can win. Sometimes, you know, VCs, they talk about TAM, total addressable market, and they want a big, big market. What's your take there? Well, you also find a number of VCs who will, you know, talk about how the the pitch that they don't want to hear is for someone to walk in saying, ah, it's a $10 trillion market and I need just 0.1% and then we'll have millions of dollars. Like there's a double-sided part to that. Um, and, And I also think that it can be, overly exciting to think that you're going to go get venture capital money, but there's risk inherent to that too. There's a stat that the average unicorn company, a billion dollar valuation, the founder is worth $50 million. And, and that, when I first saw that, I was pretty shocked in a sad way for the entrepreneur in a way, because it, it just shows you how much of a company gets gobbled up every time you do another round of venture capital funding. So I think it's useful to try and think about how far you can push your minimum viable product, your small addressable market, that group you can be you know, irresistible to. And, and I think that there's this over-glamorization of quitting your job, taking the big leap and going out to get the big VC funding and you know, then it works or it doesn't. Um, maybe this is me being a, a Canadian and, and that's the American way and it feels too risky to me. But I know with myself and Trend Hunter, I actually just started working away at building Trend Hunter while I was still running innovation at, at the bank. So I would, you know, do my day job, come home and code in the night and code in the weekends. And I went about a year and a half before I actually took the leap. And I even hired my first hire before I left the company I was working at. Because I thought, well, I could get a student to be a writer, an editor, a new graduate, and then uh, they could run it and I could just work on developing it because I still have the safety of my bank job. 
And so I took a very different approach to it. And generally, when I'm talking to people thinking of, who are thinking about what they want to found, I, I sort of sort of caution people to make sure they feel like it's right or find the ways to test something before you feel like you have to take that big leap. You know, if you feel ready and you're ready, cool, you're ready. But if you're not and you're thinking about it, there's a lot of ways to start working on your idea without having to quit your job. Yeah, I agree 110%. I've always said, and this is the way I did it with Founder, I said uh, I need six months of runway for my own personal like rent and living expenses. And then I'll give it a good crack for 12 months and just see what happens. But like, yeah, and just, yeah, same same philosophy around bootstrapping. Um, yeah, proud bootstrapper as well. Okay, awesome. So I'm curious what your take is around copying, right? Because many people would look at Trend Hunter and they'll go, that's a good idea. I'm just going to copy it. What's your take? Well, I think, at the, uh, you know, when it comes to the big world we're in, there are business models that can work that are effectively looking at something in one country and then thinking about what you bring to another country. And uh, I did spend a lot of my time touring different countries when I was 20, 21, 22, just trying to see if I could get an idea that I could bring back to my, to my home country. Uh, mm-hmm. it, now, uh, that, again, could be different based on the industry you're looking at. If I use my personal experience with Trend Hunter, along the way, we really just made a business model of giving away as much as possible and then being selective about where we monetize what it is we do. And so because of that, because we give our trend re- a lot of our trend reports for free and our content for free and our dashboards for free, our assessments for free, what has happened is it sort of made it uninteresting for someone to really try to compete. And it's allowed us to grow because we've cast a much wider net. But then we're selective of where do we actually monetize. And so we usually are only really monetizing when we have something big that we're selling a big big Fortune 500 brand that is able to pay a a larger check and maybe for something more consultative. So that's what we've sort of latched onto. And we've taken the approach of just trying to give things away for free. So answering my own experience, that's sort of how I've thought about dealing with it is that you can give away more for free and then you're not worried about someone copying you. But then from the reverse, could you find another idea to copy? I do think that there's times where you could look at what something's doing, someone is doing in another country, or you could look at something someone's doing where you can see the flaws in it and you feel like you could do it better. And using this particular service feels almost irritating to you. Maybe you have a way to just do it better. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success you should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. 
So it's a really interesting idea um, around the idea of copying. And the reason I ask that is because a lot of people, you know, they say, I say, say they want to start a business, but they haven't come up with a good enough idea yet. And then they might see, you know, they had an idea or they've made that claim to it, staking the ground, then, oh, somebody else has already done it. Okay, now I need to think of something else. And they can't think up a good enough idea and this idea of, so it's got to be unique, and uh, I'd love to explore that a little more with you, especially because, like, you know, you're an advisor to over 400 brands, billionaires, CEOs, ranging from Victoria's Secret, Coca-Cola, like, impressive stuff. So you would come across this, right, where there, there's perhaps a an idea or, or a trending product or service that is out there, but are you advising usually to tweak it a little or...? So there's a couple of ways to look at that. So first of all, there are examples where you could see an idea that's successful in one market, and maybe you could bring that to another. And that's something that exists in easily in probably 99% of business ideas. You see a really neat cafe that's paired with a restaurant, that's paired with a coffee shop, that's also a bookstore, and it's in Milan. Great. You could bring that to Melbourne or Perth or wherever it might be, and you're not even competing against them, but that idea could inspire you in a way that you, you could expand on. But the, uh, the way that we look at hunting trends when you're trying to get a, an idea that is maybe at a, a different scale, so for example, for a larger company or, or something that you want to take international, you can look at other ideas to try to find the patterns of what's interesting about them. And in that case, I might not look at your idea and think it's something I want to copy exactly, but I might see five or six ideas that are sort of similar, and I really want to unearth why are these things being successful. And if I really push myself on why is that successful, then it could actually lead me to an idea that might be even better. Uh, The third thing that you could do in looking at the other ideas in the market is find out what, what is wrong with them. And you might have a favorite business, a favorite service, a favorite product, uh, but there's something that still irks you about that. And maybe that could lead you to your iteration that that becomes your, your new take on something. One thing that I've learned as well when it comes to uh, ideas or trends is when you look at a product or a service, you can always differentiate it by changing a dimension. So I make no credit to this. This is some, something that... Um, one of our instructors, uh, Greta Van Reel, taught me, where basically you can change a dimension of something, whether it's the design, perhaps it's the way the product is sold. Um, like there's many different ways that you can change how that product or value proposition is perceived. What is your take on that? Like even just changing it slightly. Yeah, so I, there's actually there's a series of six patterns that we use on Trend Hunter, and you can find them when you sort of navigate through our menus. They, they appear in a lot of different places. But it's the idea that as you look at a product, there are a number of different ways you can think to evolve it that are uh, patterns that tend to be successful over time. So, for example, convergence. How could you combine this product with something else? Divergence. How might you do the opposite of this product? Uh, cir- um, cyclicality, which is the idea that maybe there's a retro or a generational twist that they allow you to interpret it in a different way. A redirection, which is almost like a surprise. How do you take this product but cause a new element of it that's completely surprising to a person? And, and the last would be reduction. How do I dramatically simplify this? Take this product or idea and remove layers, make it simple, make it less cluttered, make it more specific to a specific uh, end user. So there's, there's 
different methods you can use to look at an idea and think about how you would specifically iterate it that have consistently worked over time to help people unlock all sorts of different products and markets. Okay, so I'm curious. You said that you've worked on over 10,000 projects, um, and this is more kind of for enterprise, Fortune 500. What are the kinds of like projects or anything notable that you'd love to kind of tell us about or maybe even talk us through that process of how you've helped some of these big companies, like massive, massive, massive companies innovate? Sure. So uh, in Toronto, Trendhunter has about 80 people that are uh, paired with all sorts of different brands. And our platform allows us to do market research about 20 times faster for a tenth the price. So the concept would be you work in Red Bull and you want to figure out if there's a way to target females with an aggressive sport, an aggressively competitive sport, sort of like a, a Tough Mudder or something like that. But you want to try and tap into that female competitive spirit. So we would work with your team and on a monthly basis, we would do a new project, a new deep dive continually helping you figure out maybe that project or whatever the next one is. So if you said that was what you were diving into, our researchers in that given month might find for someone at Red Bull, all of the different examples of hyper-competitive female sports, over-the-top female sports around the world, the, the psychology that's driving that, the success levels, what's working, what's not. And then as that's presented to our clients, it would be presented in a workshop and they would think through different ways to twist and turn on what really stood out. In that meeting, they might say, oh, I really liked this um, uh, you know, particular angle of female competition. That was really unique. I never thought of that. Can we dive into that and take a different layer? And we would do this again and again and again. And we have a lot of really cool wins that have happened. Some of them have turned into billion-dollar products, but there's not too much we're always uh, you know, allowed to talk about because you're working with the strategy teams on, on what's next. But we helped uh, NASA prototype the journey to Mars. We helped the Chicago Tribune go from bankruptcy to most profitable paper in the U.S. Uh, and we've got to work on a lot of new product launches for for all sorts of cool brands. So uh, sometimes I wish I could tell more about what's in the pipeline, but for me, I'm really living my dream job to just be working with all these brands, knowing what they're working on that doesn't come out for the next couple of years. Wow, that's crazy. So like, I have to ask, like delve a little deeper on at least one, like the Chicago yeah. Tribune, like what did you guys specifically do? How did you get that on track? You obviously changed the positioning yeah. of the paper. So I had worked with Tony Hunter, who was the uh, publisher back uh, about a decade ago. I'd written a bestseller called Exploiting Chaos in 2008. And it was about how chaos creates opportunity, kind of along the themes we've talked about. And what happened is I started getting invited by CEOs because the market went really chaotic in 2009. There was a financial crisis and I would help one. And then all of a sudden they would ask for me or they would refer me and I'd get to help another, another, another. So that led me to some really interesting career scenarios. For the Tribune, we'd first worked with Tony Hunter when he was publisher in order to help him go digital. That was easy. That was right in our, our wheelhouse. But the interesting thing is one day, about four years after that transformation, he gets the phone call and he's the publisher. And the phone call is, we want you to be CEO. But, but that's kind of weird because he wasn't ready to be CEO. I mean, he, it's a different job leap but he's excited in a way. And they said, great, we want you to be CEO. Then we want you to lay off 
20% of the staff, and then we want you to declare bankruptcy and sell more ads. Well, that sounds like a terrible job. I got to fire my friends, declare bankruptcy. I'm the fall guy. Like, why would you want to take that? But at the same time, you know, this is the job he's put, put 26 years of his life into. So it was irresistible. He couldn't, he couldn't not do it. But then in that process, he pushed really, really hard uh, trying to think about how to turn the team around. So there are a bunch of things we did on their culture. There are posters all over, you know, so things like culture eat strategy for breakfast. There were town halls where you would bring everyone together and involve them in co-creating the future. But then there were also hackathons that we would run where we would take the different teams and use our patterns of opportunity as an example to have them iterate again and again and again, how might you rethink what it is that we're doing? So if I give you a couple examples, one of the things that was happening in the media is that every newspaper that was trying to survive was shrinking the paper size. They're all getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, thinner, 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 thinner. The example pattern of divergence, which we talked about, is that you do the opposite of what people are doing. So if everybody else is making their newspaper smaller and smaller and smaller, I get the economics of it. I get that's how you fight digital. But if everyone does that, what if you do the opposite? So they started making a Tribune paper that was way thicker than it ever had before. It costs more. However, the point is, if you like news about Chicago, if you want to know about the Chicago Cubs, well, now there's only one newspaper you care about because all the others got tiny and only one matters. So everyone started switching over and uh, starting to use the Tribune. So it crushes your competitors, you do better. The next pattern I'll talk about that's interesting in their scenario would be reduction. So reduction is when you really boil it down. What do you really do? Who's your customer actually? What do they really, really want from you? And if you think about a newspaper, you sort of think the end customer is the reader, but the reader doesn't really pay for the, the revenues. The revenues come from the advertisers. And there's big advertisers like Mercedes-Benz and American Express. And then there's the little guys, the local advertisers. The local ones actually pay way more and they account for the margin of, of a newspaper business. But the point is the local ads are also the worst because if you take a look at them, they're little businesses that don't know how to advertise. So they have terrible ad campaigns and their ads in a newspaper say, buy more stuff. We need you to buy our stuff. Like they're just not good. So the takeaway for the Chicago Tribune was, well, if we use the pattern of reduction and we think of that as our customer and we think about what they really need, well, they need marketing strategy. So what if instead of just selling them ad space, we sort of make it a little bit different where we're actually trying to give them like a CMO, like marketing services to make them better. So that's what they did. And lo and behold, that ended up being their big opportunity of profit and success. And that caused them to go from bankruptcy to being one of the most profitable, the number one most profitable news organization in America within a small number of years. Yeah. Wow. That's impressive. Man, I could talk to you all day. We have to work towards wrapping up. Um, I'd love to talk about your latest book. Um, what compelled you to write it? So the newest book is Create the Future, and it's actually a double-sided book. So on one side, it's Create the Future, and on the other side, it's the Innovation Handbook, which is a rewrite, the, uh, the side two, of my first book ever, Exploiting Chaos. And uh, it's half pictures, so you know it's good. But really, what I wanted to do was make like a textbook of innovation and change. 
and take all these lessons that I've learned from working with hundreds of different brands now and sort of put in their lessons. So people say, oh, innovation, you've got to go change and you've got to be ready to fail. Okay, cool. But how? Show me how. Like, I'm convinced. Just give me the tactics. So in that example, the book is loaded with the tactics. So failure. Okay, well, here's what others do. At Adidas, they host a project funeral to celebrate your project that didn't work. At Staples, our client will give you a written permission slip to fail. That means go try again. We believe that, you know, in you for what you're doing. At the BBC, they put a gambling fund in and ideas that fail the normal screening process could still qualify for gambling fund money. But the point is, we've been gathering hundreds and hundreds of these tactics and I've learned a lot from them, but I really wanted to make a resource that had them all there so that people could really figure out how do you make innovation and change actually happen. I'm really curious as well, innovation, it's an interesting word, right? Like um, from my perspective, when I think of innovation, I more think of big business and disrupting and, and change. But then there's the other side of it where, you know, you can have innovation uh, within very, very small businesses too, or even as, just as an individual, I'm curious, like from, for, the, for the people that would be watching this now, majority of our audience, uh, early stage startup founders, people looking to uh, you know, start a business or they might be working on something right now or they might have launched it recently, what advice would you have for them when it comes to innovation? For me, innovation is the buzzword for creativity and coming up with new ideas. And I think that the simplest way that I would put it is that there's a misnomer that innovation is this unattainable big thing that's happening in a certain department at Apple. But really, it's about coming up with new products, ideas, services, or just a different way of doing things. And people build it up to be some big complicated thing. But actually, it's as simple as trying the same thing that's happened for years and years in a slightly different way. And what's unique about it is because it's sort of blown up to be this weird thing, people don't really... Uh, invest their time into getting to be a better innovator. But at the end of the day, it's not a creative, fluffy thing. It's a science. And there's all sorts of tactics and tools and techniques that you can do to help yourself get better at actually coming up with these ideas and refining them. So I would invest your own personal effort into actually trying to learn these tactics and techniques so that you're more likely to succeed and so that your product is just that much better, which could be all that it takes to get you to your next level. Mm, I love it. Um, What about the balance though? Because innovation, ideas, that's the fun, that's the sexy stuff. But then you've got your business as usual and you've got to keep the wheels turning. You've got to keep the oxygen coming in. How do you know that? How do you work at that balance? Well, I would sort of argue that innovation can be broad and it's trying to make that day-to-day also more efficient. And one of the weaknesses that sometimes hits an entrepreneur is this feeling that, no, I don't need innovation. I'm in an implementation phase. I just need to figure out how to scale. And and, and that's quite a, a trap. Uh, our motto at Trend Hunter, our little trademark motto, used to be find better ideas faster. And and why I thought that was an interesting motto to try and think about is because it's so easy to think, no, I have my idea. I'm just trying to get it out there. It's like, yeah, I'm just trying to make a better idea. You know who had a good idea for a smartphone? Blackberry, Palm Pilot. But Apple made it just 
a little bit better. And then they didn't have to sell, it sold itself. So you could always tweak your product to be better. And innovation doesn't just have to be about the product. It can be smarter ways to going to market, motivating your team, thinking about all the things to basically improve your business by adapting. And in a time period of now, the chaos that we're in, well, all those tactics and tools could really be helpful. Yeah, I agree. It's, yeah, it's one of those things where it's a mindset shift, right? Absolutely. It's a sort of continual improvement, but, but it's also one that's uh, sort of ripe for this time period that we're in today. Yeah, I agree. So much opportunity right now. Okay. So, um, yeah, look, uh, we'll work towards wrapping up, Jeremy. This has been a fantastic conversation. Really enjoyed talking with you. You've been so generous with your time. Um, two last questions. One, any final words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience of early stage startup founders? And then two, where's the best place people can find out about more of your work at uh, you know, Trend Hunter or Create the Future or any of your other books or I know you have conferences, you have all sorts of things going on? Well, the simplest thing I would say is that you're capable of more than you think. So the question is, what other opportunity do you have that's so close within your grasp? And you can get there, but it takes effort. So how are you going to push harder, act sooner, fail faster, never give up because you truly can get to those higher levels. If you want to find more from me, you can visit trendhunter.com where you'll find all my contact info, our free future festivals, our webinars, all sorts of keynotes I have. And if you want to see my life work, my textbook or visual handbook on innovation and change is Create the Future, Tactics for Disruptive Thinking, and you can pick it up pretty much anywhere. Amazing. Well, look, thank you so much for your time, Jeremy. It was an absolute pleasure. All right. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.